Our second message this afternoon is from Mr. Steve Andrews. It is entitled, The Kingdom Solution. Steve. I was born in 1948, and that year, the state of Israel was formed. And that began <laughs> the wars with all of its neighbors. And it hasn't stopped since. As I grew a little older, the world decided that they had to go to war with Korea. And that split it right down the middle, the North and South Korea. The next war I remember very, very well was the Vietnam War. And of course, at that time, there was still all, you know, wars everywhere. It wasn't just like these were the only ones, because it, it was very apparent that war is a part of the nature of man, I guess. And with the Vietnam War, and the unsettling of the world also, we had the Russians, the Chinese, rattling their swords at the same time. And I think all of us who, are grow who have grown up, even no matter how old we are, can remember wars and rumors of wars. And of course, we have the Iraqi War, for freedom, the, <coughs> the ones that um, no one wins, the one in Afghanistan that the Russians tried to win and couldn't win and were there and can't win. The whole world seems like it is in a turmoil and constantly fighting and developing terrible ways to kill one another. You know, it, it comes down to the fact that we realize that we need the kingdom solution, the solution that Christ needs to return to this earth. I wrote down not just any kingdom. We don't want another kingdom made by man. We want the kingdom of God to be on this earth. It's interesting, these nations are all made up of individuals, aren't they? <laughs> no nation exists that doesn't have a king who's an individual, or a president, or whatever, whoever rules. Also, each one of the people that either are subjugated or free are individuals. And it becomes quite apparent that we need a kingdom solution for individuals also. It was interesting, I can't remember just exactly where the um, interview was or how the statement came about. Maybe it was uh, because uh, Sean Hannity's been in Israel, but the statement was is that the Israeli mother is very proud of her son when he accomplishes something in the area of maybe art or science or something like that. 
in contrast, the Palestinian mother is very happy when her son kills someone or gets blown up in a suicide attempt. The world and individuals need the kingdom solution. You know, our part is already set aside. We have a great part in this kingdom solution. We already have an office that's being prepared for us. It's being fulfilled as we live our lives. It's right there, ready for us. And all we have to do is not lose out, not lose our crown. In Revelation, the third chapter, verse 11, Jesus said to the church there, it doesn't matter because these promises are to all who take and hear. Revelation 3, verse 11, Behold, I come quickly, hold fast what you have, that no man take your crown. As individuals who are preparing for the kingdom of God, preparing for the solution to the whole world's troubles, by the way, (laughs) I just, I wrote it down because I happened to look it up. The word crown there is Stephanos, which is my first name. I used to not like S-T-P-H-E-N, because they used to call me Stephan, until I found out what that really meant. So I'm not going to let anybody take my crown. <laughs> take my Stephen away from me. I, I, like, I still like Steve, so don't get me wrong. And I still like, sometimes I still spell it S-T-E-V-E-N. But in Greek, this means crown. And Andrews means kingly. I don't want anyone to take my kingly crown away from me. And I hope you're the same way. In James, the first chapter, by the way, this is, this is an introduction to this message because I want to get personal about our calling, our individual calling and our purpose. And I think Jesus lays it out fairly well, and I'll show that to you here in a minute. James 1, verse 12, Blessed is that man endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised them that love him. The Bible is full of the preparation for the kingdom of God, the preparation for the kingdom solution for this world. And not just for the world, but the kingdom solution for individuals. Individuals that God loves. They're made in his image. All of mankind is made in his image. Male and female are made in his image. And yet we hate one another in this world. We kill. We steal. We rape. We pillage. And these are all things that are so ungodly. So out of uh, God's character. I wanted to make sure that everybody had these King, these crowns, Second Timothy. Second Timothy, the fourth chapter. Each one of us should want these crowns. In verse eight, 
Hereafter is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not me only, but all them also that love his appearing. As we see the world and the hatred, and even, I don't know, if, and I, I, I know I mention this every time, and it's sometimes hard for me to understand because I've seen a city that was a lot different than the city that we live in today. When I was, uh, we were talking, Mary and I were talking. We used to go downtown as kids by ourselves, downtown Tulsa. We would go and we would get on a bus as little kids and we would go downtown and we would go to movies, we would go shopping. I remember uh, the Walgreens and, and uh, uh, Brown Duncan, uh, Cresses, I mean there were so many stores down there. Places you go down underneath and you go shopping in there. And today, I would not send a young child by themselves downtown Tulsa. Even though it's probably improved over the years, I still would be very reluctant to send them. And yet even our own homes today in this city are not safe. It's a shame. We've seen a change. And so each one of us needs to hold on to our crown so that we can be a part of the solution. In 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, 1 Peter 5, beginning in 1, talking to the elders, talking to those that minister, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but, ready, but, for, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief, chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. For the ministry, we look forward to that day when we can face that chief shepherd. And I hope that we have a, have a favorable report, Lawrence. I hope that that's, there's, and, and Barnabas, I hope there's a favorable report there for us. Those are crowns that are held out. But the calling of individuals has been very important to understand. There's a calling for a purpose. Because there's a place that you're going to, you're going to be, you've been training, and you've been, um, your life is, 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 is being used for a purpose to bring you into the kingdom so that you can help others. So that you can bring others into the kingdom. And I know we have that opportunity today in a small way, but in the kingdom we're going to bring nations together. We're going to bring all peoples together. You know, he works with individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. He works also with nations such as Israel, Edom, Babylon, good and evil, Assyria, used to battle against even Israel. The day is coming 
when that purpose and that place will be fulfilled and the kingdom solution will be in place. And all nations will have to come to God and learn the ways that we understand and the truth that we understand. It's interesting in the Beatitudes, I, I was re-looking at them a little bit, and I think there's some, some interesting things. But the Bible, Jesus said there's, there's something we need to do. And it's found in Matthew, the sixth chapter, and verse 33. Matthew 6 and verse 33. And then we'll go back and we'll read the words. Because we do live in a time of, of great trials and tribulations, the world in turmoil. We don't know. Um, prophecies may be pull, being pulled together. The end may be very close or we may still have a lot of time. Things can change overnight. Like the the Berlin Wall. And so we don't know. And so we always must be prepared. Jesus says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, the words that are above it, which we're going to read, all these things shall be added unto you. But the point, the end point, is for each of us to seek the kingdom of God first. It's the first thing that we should be seeking in our life. It should be the overriding desire in our life to, to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a part of the solution for all of mankind, because that's what it's all about. God created mankind for a great purpose. And we don't know all of the things that he has planned. All we know is that he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth, but we don't know 10,000 20,000, 100,000 years from now because he's going to give us eternal life. We don't know the vastness of what he, he plans. All we know is we want to be a part of that. We want to seek the kingdom of God first and his righteousness first and then all good things will be added even if we struggle, even if we have to be persecuted and the different things that might come into our life. Let's go back now, and let's pick it up where it says in Matthew 6, 24. He makes this point. No man can serve two masters. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold, the one, uh, hold to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Worldly riches, worldliness. You cannot serve. I mean, you can have wealth or riches, but you cannot serve it. You have to put God first. He says, therefore, I say to you, take no thought. In other words, that means no anxious thought. Planning is important, but not being anxious about our lives, not being anxious about things that might come up in our lives. We understand that. Be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink. Sometimes I think I need something to drink. <laughs> Nor yet your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than meat and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. 
yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Let's say we're going through a trial and we seem like we don't have the things that we need in our life. Could we take this to God and say, I need uh, some things in my life, Father. I need to be helped in this area. It says, are we not much better than the fowls? You feed them. You take care of them. Take care of me. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubic to his height stature? I found out I'm actually losing height. <laughs> it's probably because I'm getting bent over, you know. My wife, and Miriam keeps telling me, you stand up straight. And I said, oh, that hurts. Oh, yeah. I can't stand up straight anymore. So I, I really, I cannot add any, any cubits to my height anymore. Why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lady, uh, ladies, lilies of the field. <laughs> Yeah, consider the ladies of the field too. How they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore take no thought, you know, do not worry, don't be anxious about it saying, what shall I eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall, wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now the world is into amassing, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't plan, and we shouldn't be uh, conscious of those things, but it's not the anxiety, it's not to worry us, it's not to take our, our, our mind off of the primary things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. And so he, I reiterate, to seek first the kingdom of God. Um, it's interesting, I, I like to mention every once in a while, the first things first bottle. That if you, if you put the less important things like sand in a bottle, and you have these big rocks that are the most important things, and then you try to stuff them in that bottle, you can't get them in there. But if you put the most important things, the larger rocks, the most important things, that relationship with God, your prayer, your Bible study, your family, into that bottle, then the less important things seep down around the important things. You can still get some of that not so important things done. It was an interesting example about making first things first. The kingdom of God first, his righteousness first, then all of these other things will filter in. God will provide. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Suffice the day, suffice to the day is the evil thereof. And amen to that, because it is evil. And we see those things beginning to, to happen in the world, the changes in the world. And all we can do is ask God to protect us, to take care of us, and to be with us. Now, the Beatitudes were for the disciples. It's interesting how he brings this out. And it does seem like there is a progression. And that's what I'd like to bring out today. A progression through these things. And, and maybe, <clears throat> um, maybe you can see this as we go through this. He says in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 5, 
Seeing the multitudes, he went up into the mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. Now, it's important to understand that when we read these words, it's like Jesus is sitting there and talking to us. It's a personal relationship. He's, he's, he's telling us, these things are very important. I would like for you to listen because you're my disciple. You're studying my word. You're studying my ways. You're living as I lived on this earth. And it's important that you hear what I have to say. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you'll notice, each one of these has a blessed is, and then it's a statement, and then afterwards, there's, there is a promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, they're blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, don't we want to be that way? <laughs> I want to be, I mean, I want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. I want to be a part of God's kingdom. I want to be a part of the kingdom of solution. So, first thing I want to do is I want to have, I want to understand what poor in spirit means. And why it's so important. Why Jesus used this as the very first point that he made. Why is it important to have that kind of a spirit? In this Bible instead of having a margin in the middle, they always put a little underline. And an underline sometimes gives you an understanding of the word, sometimes it doesn't. It's like all comments. Well, under the poor in spirit is meek and humble. So let's turn to Isaiah, the 66th chapter. And I'll see if I can find Isaiah, the 66th chapter. And just one verse. God says, For all these things has my hand made, and all those things have been, says the Lord. But to this man, to this man, will I look, even him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. What was the first thing that Jesus did or started preaching when he first started coming into the, to, um, his ministry? He started preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Repentance means humbling ourselves, realizing our nature, realizing that we're sinners. Realizing that we need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We essentially break down an understanding that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That our life was not perfect. It lacked something. It lacked God's Holy Spirit. It lacked God in our life. And yet he looked down and he wanted us as part of his kingdom and so when we when he finally that spirit was leading us and directing us we finally broke down we finally saw we we finally understood and our spirit was humbled Romans 8 verse 7 we understood 
that there was enmity. As we began to study and we began to read and God was opening the word to us, we, we opened the book to Romans, the eighth chapter, and what did we find? Why, I've always been, I've been a carnal man, and I've been against God. For I was not subject to the law of God, neither indeed could be. And so our lives were apart from God. And yet God was reaching out, calling us, calling us to this way for a purpose, for a reason, so that we could be a part of the solution. He said in verse 8, So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's when we realized that we needed to be broken down, humbled before God. And of course, as I said, in Mark, the first chapter, verse 15, Jesus says, and I'll read that here as soon as I get to it. Mark. Sometimes I, you're probably already reading it, yeah. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent you and believe the gospel. Repent you and believe the gospel. We have to come to this point in our life in which our whole being is humbled before God, realizing he's our creator and realizing he is the one that judges and will judge us in that day. Do we want to have a part in the kingdom? Then we must repent. We must come to that point in which we humble ourselves before God through fasting, through prayer, but also taking those steps that we must take. We must repent and we must be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sin that we might receive that Holy Spirit. It's a process that we go through. In verse 4, Blessed are they that mourn. And Matthew 5 and verse 4. You might put that up there. Matthew 5 and verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. And then I'm going to jump to, For they shall be comforted. Interesting. Blessed are they that mourn. And the uh, retort, for they shall be comforted. In Ezekiel, the ninth chapter, in verse 4, I have two, just two verses here. And I remember, and I like to say this every time that I do this message, because I've done it a few times, that uh, when we decided to do a Bible study with this one, <laughs> we were going to do all of them. And Lawrence said, nope. No, you can't do that. <laughs> you have to do each one individually, and you have to have the whole Bible study with each one individually. Oh, well, it's not, that's, that's impossible. It is not. I am just skimming the surface of every one of these blessed ones that are so wonderful. There's so much to them. If you really want a good study and you really want something very interesting to study, go and look at uh, poor in spirit. Uh, blessed are they that mourn. All of these beatitudes 
have a, a great deal of understanding information that is revealed in God's word. In Ezekiel 9th chapter, verse 4, the Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark on their foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And I know this is about Israel, and I know that this is, is, is a totally different thing, but brethren, the point is still well made. When we see the society that we live in, when we see the world that we live in, are we sighing and crying for the abominations that are beginning to, to, to be revealed in this society that had, had, that had un understood to some degree this word? And now it is Christians around the world and believers around the world are being persecuted for believing the truth. And brethren, we are going to be mourning more and more as we see the day approaching. We're going to be sighing and crying more and more as we see the day approaching. We're going to want the kingdom of God to come because it's going to be so bad. We're going to want the return of the Messiah to this earth because it's going to get so bad. Some of us may not even survive. Let's hope that God will protect us and take care of us and bring us through if we happen to to be alive at that time. In Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, let's see if I can get there fast enough. <laughs> In Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, I have two verses here. He says, It's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to heart. What do we do when we lose a loved one and we come together and we're mourning and, the, and especially the one that has lost a loved one is mourning and grieving. We try to comfort them, don't we? We try to comfort them. And especially when we're given the responsibility, Lawrence or I or Barnabas, to, to do a funeral. That's what we try to do. We try to reach out and comfort the bereaved through the Word of God, through prayer. Whatever we can do to help them to be comforted in their time of grief. Blessed are they that mourn because God will comfort us by giving, helping us to see the solution at the end of the turmoil and the trials and the tribulations. He will comfort us. He's given us the Holy Spirit. It's called the Comforter. If we reach down deep into that Spirit when that time comes, when there's trials or tribulations or when we're grieving, we can be comforted. We don't grieve the same way that the people in the world grieve. You know, if you looked at the different ways that people approach death, it's uh, different countries approach it in different ways. We probably don't mourn anywhere near as much as, as, as others, although deep inside, days later, months later, we're grieving for the loss. But some, very open, very, um, 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 what's the word I want to use? Uh, 
uh, very animated about their grief and their mourning. In the Bible, they used to rip their clothes off. I mean, the vest, and you know, they would throw ashes on, and they would sit and they would mourn for days, and maybe weeks, for the loss, especially the loss of someone close close to them. But the point is, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. One more verse. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. As we understand that all men will die. Okay, let's go back. Well, let's see. I've got a, I've got a scripture here in Isaiah, the 61st chapter, so let's, let's turn to that under the being comforted. Isaiah 61 and verses 1 through 6. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, and this is the verses that Jesus gave. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to, be, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and opening the prison to them that are bound. To pro- proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. Now, there's going to be a lot of need for comforting in the kingdom of God. The losses will be great. And there probably won't be a, a family one that will have not lost. To appoint to them that mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes. The oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they might be called trees of righteousness and planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. See how God comforts? And they shall build the old waste. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities. The desolations of many generations. There's coming a time in which you'll be rejoicing, but there will be a time of great mourning because of the things that will be so heavy on the hearts of men. Back to Matthew, the fifth chapter, and verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Isn't that an interesting, that's so beautiful. Blessed are the meek. It doesn't say weak, it says meek. There's a difference. And remember, this, is, this might be a little bit, what if these are progressive? What if as the Spirit is dwelling in us and developing a more Christ-like personality, more Christ-like personality, We've come through, we've repented, we've mourned, because now we see what the world is like, we see what humanity is like, we see all the sins in the world, we've mourned for it, and now we have to have this Christ-like character. Jesus was a, was a man who was meek. Let's turn to Matthew, the 11th chapter, but not weak. Remember, he, he went into the temple and, and just beat those money changers all over the place. Matthew 11, and verse 28, he says, Come to me. Come to me. I would like for you to come to me. I would like for you to come to me, 
all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. That's an interesting statement. That's a godly characteristic. Meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke, that burden that I have, is easy, and my burden is light. And so we can go to, to the Messiah, we can go to Christ, and we can lay our burdens, our labors upon him because of his character, because of his nature. And that's the way we want to be. We want to be like him. We want to walk this earth and be like him. Because they shall inherit the earth. In Psalms the 37th chapter, Psalms 37, Psalm 37, I don't think we'll have that many Psalms. I think there's only one Psalm 37. This is a very interesting Psalm. Beginning in verse 7. Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself because of Him who, who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself in, in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. You shall diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek, but the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. You see how this works together? You see how becoming, by our process, we're becoming more Christ-like. We're becoming more like the Messiah as the Spirit works in us and develops these characteristics. And we should, as we go to God, we should claim the promises of Christ. I want to be those, one of those that inherits the earth. I want to be a part of that. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and needy, and to slay such as be of upright conduct or conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. He's going to turn it back on them, and he's going to destroy the wicked, and they're not going to be anymore. And if they will not repent, they will make it into the lake of fire. That's what the Bible says. Our character is to have that meekness that Christ had. 
And if we have burdens, to lay those burdens on him. To give him, because his burdens are light, to go to that one that sits at the right hand of the Father. Verse 6, Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. I think all of us experience this at, um, at the beginning of our, um, of our journey into this way of life. Once we finally realize that, hey, we've been lied to, some of you that have grown up in this way understand, and understood those things, but some of us that grew up in a different way, came from a different background, and maybe some religion or no religion, <laughs> um, and you come to understand the truth of the word, and you come to understand that it wasn't right, you are now hungry for the righteousness. You're hungry for the word of God. I know that there was, <laughs> my ignorance was so great that uh, the, I was so thankful to get the uh, um, correspondence course. I would just eat through it. I would write. You know, they said, well, write. Well, I wrote. I wrote. I had, I had books of writing. <laughs> I would write the question. I would write the answer. And I would, I would go back and I would read it again because I wanted to know. I wanted to understand. I wanted to learn. I was hungry. I was thirsty. There wasn't, there wasn't enough food or drink. I was wanting it so bad. I was, I was needing it. And God fed me. <laughs> he kept feeding me. He kept showing me the way. And those who are grounded that way have not left this way. Those who are grounded in that have not left this way. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. I mean, of course, we see one, Psalm, Psalm 119. Um, and, and Art gave the other one that's really good there so in, in Psalm 119, uh, the lamp unto my feet. But I wanted to read this one, 172. I think that's right. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. All your commandments are righteousness. So if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're going to be filled, aren't we? We're going to be filled with the righteousness of God. As we study his word, it fills us. As we ask God to open up understanding of his word, it fills us. It satisfies the spirit that actually dwells within us. It's satisfying the spirit that dwells within us because that spirit comes from God. And then it's married with our, or it's joined with our spirit where that new creature, creature wants to be filled with the righteousness of God. It wants to be understanding that righteousness. It wants to be understanding the word of God. Isaiah 45. But there's other, one other thing about this that's interesting. 
Because once you understand it, you become grounded. It's part of the process of our Christian growth. We become grounded in the way of the Word. We become grounded in His laws. We become grounded in the Sabbath. We become grounded in the, in the holy days. They become a part of us. We don't want to depart from them because they know they picture the kingdom of God. They picture a solution for the whole world. As Isaiah 45, beginning in verse 8, drop down, drop down, you heavens from above. Let the skies pour, uh, pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. You think about the, the earth being created and the stars and all of that. But what about languages? The law? What we call righteousness? All of those things come from God. We wouldn't even understand how to worship God if he didn't reveal it to us through his word. We wouldn't understand who he was if he didn't reveal it to us through his word. That's part of that hunger and thirsting because we want to know him. We want to understand him better. We want to grab his presence in our life so that we can grow in grace and knowledge so we can be like Christ and be in the kingdom. In verse 7, verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Isn't that interesting? What would be the most merciful thing that God could do for us? Give us a place in his kingdom, as his sons and daughters in his kingdom. Wouldn't that be the most merciful thing that God could do for each individual? He holds out the kingdom of God to all individuals. We understand that he's calling some now. He's calling you and I now. He's calling us out of the world to serve him now. But all of mankind will understand, even those that are terrorists, let's hope that they have a chance because they may be so perverted they cannot understand this plain word. Blessed are the merciful. Psalm 103. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. I mean, if he did that, we'd all be in our graves. <laughs> we wouldn't have a chance. I mean, if he, if he said all Sunday keepers, you know, died instantly as soon as they kept that first day of the week, there wouldn't be anybody because a lot of us come out of the Sunday churches. So he's merciful. He 
you know. Jesus says if we, for men, if they look upon a woman to, to lust after her, so a lot of men wouldn't be around very much longer. Uh, so it's, a, it's, under, it's interesting how God is merciful to us, giving us space to repent. But he's also giving us space to be more Christ-like. And that's the way that we should be working in our lives, to become more and more like him, more and more understanding how he lived and how he was able to overcome this world. Let's see if I can pick back up where I was. Okay, verse 10. It's not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. So the Lord pities him. Pities them. Pities his children. Loves us. Merciful to us. Proverbs 16, 6. I might just read that. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Isn't that interesting? By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. That is a profound statement. When you have the, the mercy and you have the understanding of God, you push iniquity out, you push the sinfulness out of your life. And when we fear the Lord, men depart from evil. They depart from the evil ways of their life. In Luke 6, 36, and I only have one verse there, so let me put that one in. He says, Be you therefore merciful, as your Father is also merciful. It's a characteristic of God. You see, as we progress, we become more and more godlike. If we are able to take on these, these attitudes, because that's what they are, they're godly attitudes, we become more and more like Christ when he walked the earth, and we'll be more and more ready when he returns to take up our position in the kingdom. For they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8. Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know when that happens, that doesn't happen right now. <laughs> that happens in the kingdom of God. That has to be future. We are working to become pure, but <laughs> we may need the process of the resurrection to become truly pure in heart, to see God. First John, I only have one scripture here. You all know this one very well, but I'm beloved. Now we are the sons of God. We are the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, because none of us have changed into a spirit being yet, not that I know of, except for Christ, and maybe those that were in the um, allowed to see into the kingdom, 
maybe in a, uh, a vision. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's when we will truly be pure at heart. That's when we shall truly be pure at heart. Now, verse 9, verse 9, of, um, yeah, verse 9 of uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter. Blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, we can do that here today. I mean, we can do that on, on the earth. We can try to become peacemakers to the best of our ability, become more Christ-like and, you know, and try to do what we can do. But our true time will be in the kingdom of God. When we will have the power, the great power, to become true peacemakers. In Isaiah, the second chapter, and, we, and I read it a, a lot, but I, I just love this because this is what I want to see on this earth so badly. I want to see the change that's going to come <laughs> if we have to beat them over the head to bring it. So be it. But I want to see this change. I want this change so badly. I have spent my whole life watching the world at war, watching men kill one another. I've spent my whole life, all 66 years, there's hardly, there hasn't been a time of peace anywhere in the world. Talk about wars and rumors of wars and kingdoms fighting against kingdoms. And it might not have been a main war. It could have been a small war somewhere in Africa. But I bet there has never, in the 66 years that I have lived, that there has been any peace total peace on this world. Men have been fighting and killing one another for a very, very long time. It goes longer than my age, way back. I've got a book at home on the battles of, uh, let's see, how's it, how's it, the, the battles of Israel, all the major battles. I mean, they fought and fought swords, and they're still fighting today. Now they're fighting with missiles. And I, if you haven't even, if you've watched even a little bit of what's going on in Israel, it's amazing. The world says, oh, you should just give up. And here these missiles are flying over and, and, they're, and they've got this um, iron dome killing, you know, shooting these missiles. What if they didn't have it? Why, they'd have thousands of, you know, of, of bombs going off every day. The poor children. Their playgrounds are bunkers. <laughs> they have bunkers for playgrounds. And they just recently built something inside so the kids could play. Because they'll be outside for 15 minutes and there'll be the alarm go off because there's another bomb coming. Another missile heading for Israel. It's a horrible world we live in, brethren. Yes, we're at peace to some degree in America. But I want to see the whole world at peace. I don't want to see just 
part of the world. I want to see all the world at peace. And we can have a part in it. Verse 4. He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword, missile, bomb, knives, guns, whatever, against nation. Neither shall they learn, neither shall they learn, no more Annapolis, no more whatever, how many ever different ones there are out there. <laughs> I think there's three of them in America. Where they learn, war, anymore. Never, it's not going to happen. God's going to end it. It's going to be over with. And if they don't like it, says in Revelation, it's going to give us the power to rule them with a rod of iron, to bring them into to this way of life, to help them to understand peace, true peace. And those of us who make it and are those peacemakers, they're going to be called the sons of God because they are the peacemakers of the world. Every one of us in this room will have an opportunity. And any that are hearing this and want to be a part of this will have an opportunity to be a peacemaker in the kingdom of God. A true peacemaker. Not the ones that we talk about today. Oh, he's gone over there and made peace. You know, I don't have any words. I can't say any of the words I want to say. But they're not making peace. The world needs the kingdom solution, brethren. It is a fact. The world needs the kingdom solution. The world is made up of individuals in the image of God. We need the kingdom of God on this earth as a solution to all of our problems. And as a part of that, we get to be rulers on this earth. Great things ahead.